So a thing that's been really helpful for me is understanding that you will come off of that a little bit and work-life balance might be a little off, but as long as you're coming back to your center, it helps with the anxiety a lot to know that you know where that needs to be at. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth season of Ready to Scale. I'm your host, Ellie Perlman. Real estate investing is not rocket science, but it's not a fairy tale either. It's an incredible investment vehicle that builds and grows wealth. I have done it, and this is why so many of the wealthiest people in America and in the world, actually, invest in real estate as well. Listen in every week to learn about all the different real estate asset classes, which strategies experienced and successful investors use to live their best lives and the processes to do it. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just listen in every week to grow your knowledge along with me and to move your finances to a place where you can live an extraordinary life. This show is sponsored by my company, Blue Lake Capital, where we help passive investors grow their wealth through large multifamily investments and funds. To learn more about my company and invest in with me, visit www.bluelake-capital.com. Welcome to Ready to Scale Season 4. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to yet another episode of Ready to Scale. I'm Jeanette Robinson, Director of Investor Relations with Blue Lake Capital. And today on the show, we have Alex Jarbo. Alex is a CEO and founder of Sargon Investments that focuses on short-term rental resort development. In addition to that, he has a goal of developing 650 cabins in the next three years. Before he started this company, he also worked in property management and as a real estate agent as he navigated his options through you know, the real estate industry. And more importantly than all of that, he served for four years in the Marines you know, for all of us and our country. So I thank you very much for that, Alex. Now, he has already accomplished getting his MBA in real estate development, and he's almost done getting his doctorate in business with a concentration in leadership. He also, if you're interested in learning more about him, you can tune into his show on YouTube, Alex Builds. And last but not least, he's coming to us from Asheville, North Carolina, where he and his lovely wife just moved into a new home. So Alex, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. We're glad you're here. So I love talking about short-term rentals. I think they're actually really fun and interesting. And so I'm going to kind of just jump right into talking about that as an asset class. So first of all, are you focused on short-term rentals as an asset or are you actually focused on that as a strategy? Like, are you just married to the idea of cabins or are you looking at other asset types as well? It's more like hospitality is what I'm focused on. So we have a goal of building 650 cabins in the next two or three years and to be able to get to that scale, like I'm open to doing, say, like boutique resort development or boutique hotels acquisition and conversion, all that fun stuff. So it's more like short term rentals, hospitality, that's sort of I group that all in one sort of just like unique properties is what I'm focused on. All right. Very interesting. Now, I'm curious to know, how did you originally get, you know, kind of turned on to the idea? And what is it that really piqued your interest in getting into real estate to begin with? Yeah. So like towards the end of my enlistment in the Marine Corps, it sort of just at a time, it was about a year before my enlistment where I started thinking about, should I be re-enlisting? Should I, should I go out and do my own thing? And that's what I decided to do is I want to go out and do my own thing. 
just started focusing on reading different types of real estate books, whether it be multifamily, self-storage, single family. And I came across a flipping mentorship that I was a part of that I joined. And then the main person that owned that program, I saw all of their long-term wealth and all their long-term strategies were focused towards short-term rentals. So I, I got on the phone with him and we I asked him a couple of questions in regards to short-term rentals. I wasn't even focused on the flipping stuff, honestly. And he sort of helped me decide on what market or how to choose a market. And that's that's where I eventually, the day I got out of the military is when I moved to Asheville, North Carolina, where I live now, because I'm originally not from here. Yeah, it's just, I like the uniqueness of short-term rentals. The way I got into short-term rentals was I was a real, I got my real estate license when I moved here. I just started looking for properties that were in my price range. But what I realized was just like, they weren't unique enough. I felt like they would do well as long-term rentals but they weren't they wouldn't do well on the short term rental sites. So that's what my very first real estate investment was a new development project. So that and we still have that A-frame to this day. I realized that the unique properties where the properties are like experiences in themselves do better on the short term rental sites. I say like Instagrammable properties. Very cool. I can definitely agree that I actively look for fun experiences when I'm traveling. Sure. I have it on my bucket list to stay in a treehouse at some point here. So we're I working on a treehouse community right now. So yeah, I think they sound great. I think they sound really fun. I've always wanted to try one. And I'm sure I will at some point here. But interesting. So now, you know, when we look at the process, you know, everybody knows that the supply chain has, you know, been very challenging. So I'm curious to know, since you decided, you know, to go forward with really development instead of, you know, getting existing properties, how are you navigating all of the challenges in the market with the supply chain? So the biggest thing for us recently in the last six months has been just teaming up with the local GC that's very large, the biggest GC in this area. And that does two things. One, they've been dealing with the supply chain issues for the last two and a half years, three years. So they understand what timelines need to be and what timelines are realistic. And second thing with working with a bigger company like that, tradesmen are more drawn towards them. They want to work for them because they have an established name in the area. But that has been a big thing that we've made the shift in the last six months is working with a bigger GC. For people that are just starting out and who are smaller, say like when I was started five, six years ago that you you want to get into this now, because I have a couple other GCs that work for me that do like my rehab stuff and some of the sm uh, smaller projects. The way we've gotten around the supply chain stuff is just ordering stuff that's in stock, whether it be through Lowe's, Home Depot, Builders, First Stores, 84 Lumber, whoever's local to your area. The, just what, what's been happening with like just deliveries and stuff, even if you try to overnight something, some things are constantly getting lost right now with UPS, FedEx, any type of company that's delivering anything, things are getting backed up. So I've always said, even if like you go into Lowe's, Home Depot or wherever, if even if the color is not exactly what you want it to be, I would go with getting something that's in stock over ordering something right now. Definitely good advice. I know that we've had challenges with the same thing, and I know that other people have too. So good advice. Very good advice. And definitely makes a big difference too. Like you said, when you're partnering with a larger reputable company, you know, they tend to have the vendor relationship. Sometimes right. they even have, you know, the apprenticeship program because, you know, the labor market is also pressed, you know, for this type of skilled trade Absolutely. talent. So yeah, definitely good advice. Now, I'm curious also to know, you know, if you can walk us through the process a little bit. How do you, you know, kind of get the creative ideas that you want to utilize? How are you determining where in the market you're going to put these properties? Just kind of walk us through your process. 
my wife and I have like a Pinterest board essentially. So like she'll send me properties or I, I, I come across properties on social media, Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, stuff that catches my eye. Cause I feel like if something's going to catch my eye, something's going to catch my wife's eye, it's going to catch other people's eye, especially cause like pictures are so important whenever you're listing a property on the short-term rental sites. So something unique. And what I tell my students, uh, I have a coaching program, but what I tell my students is like, you want to think about what's unique to your area. And the way you do that is just you can hop onto Airbnb and just look up what the top properties are in your market and sort of model them based off of that. Because you're not necessarily cop, even if you copy a floor plan or even if you copy some sort of design and if you draw some inspiration for a local property that I mean, just because there's one of those properties, there's not really going to be a difference if there's two or three of those properties in the same market because there's so much people coming through these sites and stuff. So the first thing is we just look at the uniqueness of the property and if, if it would fit in our market. The way we choose a market is I try to choose a market that's a little bit less seasonal. And what I've found is like mountain markets tend to be a little bit less seasonal. And if you stack the mountain market strategy with like the uniqueness, like the unique properties, what I've realized in the last six years is during the slow season, our slow seasons like January to sorry, the middle of March, is the property becomes an experience in itself during that time, dur during the slow season and during the high season or when things start to pick up where the weather gets a little bit better, the city and the market becomes the experience. So it's like it's a nice little balancing act you have there when it when it comes to choosing markets and then choosing properties. Very smart. I was curious how you managed to keep consistent cash flow, you know, with short-term rentals, because I figured sure. that would be one of the challenges, but you just answered the question. So perfect. So another thing that I have to admit that I'm curious about is there's a lot of competition, a ton of competition out there. And I think it's become even increasingly so in the last few years as, you know, as more and more people have kind of discovered this as a strategy, you know, for building passive income and building a business. So what do you do to deal with all that competition? Yeah, I would say that 70 to 80% of people who are listing a property are usually only putting it on, say, Airbnb or VRBO, and they're just setting it and forgetting it. And what I've realized over the last two years is you need to be looking at, in this industry, they're called the OTAs, the online travel agency. So Airbnbs and online travel agencies, those VRBO, booking.com. You need to be looking at those sites where you can put your property on there as just a market, as the marketing arm of your business. That's not the end all be all where your business stops. You need to be diving a little bit deeper. And so one, putting your property on multiple sites. So Airbnb, VRBO, booking.com, and there are local ones as well. So that's step one. Step two is to be partnering up and contacting people that are local in your industry that are like that uh, wedding planners is huge for us. So like we have a list of 45 wedding planners that we can contact that they send us their overflow instead of like we have a cabin that can sleep 14 people instead of them. We have a lot of weddings in this area. So instead of family coming in and then putting the like, say, like 15 people in four or five different hotel rooms, they can just put all the family members. I don't know if that's a good thing necessarily now that I'm saying it. <laughs> like they can put all the family members, like all 14 of them in that same house. And it's honestly going to be cheaper on them as well. So wedding planners and just teaming up with like your local chamber of commerce, because usually the local chamber of commerce is there's an arm, like a, a tourist arm or something where like there's like a head of tourism in your city, just getting in contact with those people and just treating your properties as a business where Airbnb should not be like the tell all be all of where your business is, like where your property sits. It's, you need to look at the bigger picture and dive a little bit deeper, putting it on different sites and then just 
treating it as a business. Excellent advice. And I've I've heard that from other guests as well. I think one of the things that definitely is kind of a defining you know, factor for, you know, small success versus larger success are those that really view their investments as a business and operate them as such. Uh, So I think it's great advice and definitely agree. And kudos to being creative also with your network and your relationships and understanding the value, particularly in real estate of, you know, the right network in place, because it can make a huge difference in elevating your business to the next level. So very smart. And especially when it comes to, you just mentioned network, like, especially with how connected we are today, real estate world, short-term rental world, whatever, local market, people are so connected today. You'd be talking to someone and you don't realize they know maybe half of, like 10% of your network and it's a brand new person you're talking to. So we're so connected today that like everyone knows everyone, especially in the real estate industry and local markets. Yes, most definitely. Most definitely. (laughs) I know I've run into that situation many times myself, and it only continues to happen, you know, with more frequency. And, and, you know, I think that it's great, though, because I think it can help lend to, you know, additional referrals and kind of introductions to building out further relationships. And I think, you know, one of the things that a lot of people don't understand in real estate is, you know, while technically, yeah, we're competitors per se, at the end of the day, not so much, you know, really, there's there's plenty of business to go around, there's plenty of capital to go around. And, you know, I think having, you know, kind of that, that more positive, you know, mindset towards networking, and working, you know, creatively with other teams and other companies is the smartest way to run. I mean, I think it's great. So I commend you for for your mindset, too, because I can see that you're, you're a like kind. All right. Well, before we jump into what we call the lightning round questions, which is five questions that I ask every guest just for the entertainment of it. Now, generally, I've always heard very good things about having short-term rentals and that they're great investments. But of course, every once in a while, I have heard an entertaining story or two about, you know, a guest. So I'm just curious if you happen to have one that you'd be willing to share. Absolutely, I do. And it's like, before I say that, it's like, Usually the bad guess is the only thing that you hear about. You have a hundred people come through your property and you have one, two bad experiences. You're going to hear about those two. So I don't want that to scare anyone, but I'll say that anyone who operates any type self-storage, multifamily, single family, all those managers have those stories. It's like you're meeting someone over lunch and that's what the conversation turns into and just your horror stories. Cause while you're going through them, they suck, but like, it just turns into a, a funny story at the end. And I do have one. So it happened last year. During our high season, our high season here is like October, November, where like the leaves change and the mountains turn into all these different colors, yellow, red, orange, really pretty. And usually like our properties can command anywhere between four to $600 a night, no matter what the size of them. Like we have a 900 square foot A-frame that can bring those types of rents in during those months. And I already figured that I had an idea or some sort of inkling that this guest was going to be an issue. Just they were complaining about almost the property before they were even coming in. So I knew that there was, I had a feeling that they were going to be an issue. And you just get that feeling just based off the questions you get prior to someone checking in. And so they were, they come in and I think they had checked in. We can tell when guests check in just based off of our electronic locks. So they checked in exactly when check-in time, which was, which was 4 p.m., like 4.05. And they stayed. I think I had seen a complaint from them at like 10 p.m., so six hours later. And the complaint was saying that the place is a mess. There's dog hair everywhere. The lady had said that she was pregnant and she was very sensitive to smells like that. So she was saying that there was dog hair everywhere. The, the place was left a mess. 
And so I called like my cleaning company because my cleaning company has, is phenomenal. They, they've never, I think they've missed maybe one cleaning and that was my fault in the last four or five years that we've worked together. So I called them so that the guest without, before contacting me, I contacted Airbnb and told them everything, told them that the place was a mess, dog hair everywhere. And then that she needed to be relocated. Like she needed to find a new listing and blah, blah, blah. I think she was just doing that to get a refund for the entire stay because maybe it was just too expensive for her. And so what Airbnb did was they practically took away my super host status and blacklisted my property for like a week. And which was, that was where I started really thinking about actually getting on different platforms and establishing local relationships and building my own business, just not putting on Airbnb. But my cleaning company went out there that night after the guests left and they had said that my cleaning lady called me, the manager, and she was like, they brought a dog with them. Like they had a dog with them. <laughs> and so they were like, they practically lied about everything. Like they checked in at four, stayed there for six hours, cooked a meal and then left and created this fake story about dog hair and being sensitive. And like they had a dog with them. I have one camera that faces the parking lot. So you're allowed to do that with Airbnb just to make sure there's not parties happening. And I checked and they had a dog with them. So I sent that to Airbnb and everything and everything got resolved. But yeah, that really opened my eyes. Like, okay, people will say anything. Wow. I got my refund back. And then obviously she wasn't allowed to stay at my property either. So they took the money from her. It's like she just blatantly lied. Wow. Unfortunately, it's true. You always got to watch because there's always going to be someone that's going to try to take advantage. Now, I hope you got your super host status back. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Oh, good. Good. Yes. Airbnb is really good with that stuff. But Sometimes it is shoot first, ask questions later type stuff, just because Mm -hmm. it's like in the moment with the guest being annoyed with someone on a support staff or whatever. Yeah, no, I can appreciate that. And I'm sure that's one of the challenges that comes along with, you know, the utilizing short-term rental strategies, but entertaining. So thank you. I appreciate it. Now, just for the last bit here, I'm going to go through the lightning round questions with you. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. So aside of all this fun stuff that you're doing, what's an actual hobby that you have? Been a magician for 20 years on the side. Yeah. So my mom got me into that. My mom's been a teacher her whole life. And I was very awkward in school as a kid, very introverted. So she got me into like magic stuff, like like she took me like free magic classes in Michigan and stuff where we live. And it has stuck with me throughout my whole life with like even in the Marine Corps, I would do stuff to like just to pass the time with guys and stuff. So it's turned into a really cool like networking thing, just like in the middle of a networking event or wherever. I'll just bust out some like street magic stuff. It's not like I'm pulling bunnies out of hats, it's just card tricks and stuff. But <laughs> yeah, that's that's something that's actually kept me pretty creative as well. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. I'm already seeing like another, you know, another passive income stream, another business line. You know, you can start training people, deploying them to your short-term rentals for private performance. We thought about it. Like Airbnb does Airbnb experiences. We were thinking about like, you can do like these like calls like this. It's just like magic shows and stuff, but never got around to it. It'd be, it'd be funny. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Very cool. All right. Now this is going to make your next question harder. What is something that most people don't know about you? Surprisingly, and it's it's stuck with me to this day, and it's sort of seg- uh, segue from the last one, is I am really introverted. But what I've realized is having uncomfortable conversations has made my life better. So that's something that I've always not forced myself. I just I realize it's there. Not like It's not like anxiety or anything. It's just like I'm a very introverted person. I like to lock myself in my office and just work for 10, 12 hours, not talk to anyone, which is not necessarily a good thing. 
<laughs> Actually, I'm also similar in that regard. So I can totally appreciate what you're saying. You know, never ever did I think I'd be, hey, on podcast. Yeah, but it is Absolutely. good. I mean, there's no growth until you push yourself out of your comfort zone, right? Absolutely. All right. Now, what is a book that you would recommend people need to read? I'm going to say two of them, and it depends where you are in your journey. So the first one, very short, The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan, that is the framework to your whole life, whether it be personal or business. Very small book, a lot of pictures if you don't like reading. And the second book, that's more of like a economical book, more like just how the world works. Like the financial word is The Creature from Jekyll Island by Gary G. Edward Griffith. It's a book on the Federal Reserve. It's a it's a thick boy. It's like 700 pages, but it's really cool to learn how money works, like just how the the world banks and the Federal Reserve, what especially today like with how crazy inflation has gotten. It's just it's a really it's a really fitting book for the time that we're in right now. Very interesting. I was interested until you said 700 pages and then I was like, "Ooh, well." Just listen to it. That's what I'm, I did. Yeah, I just I'm going to look for a yeah, cliff yeah. note version of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, this is a question that we ask all the guests also, because it's kind of tied to the core of, you know, who we are and and what we're trying to do here at Blue Lake. So what is your advice for building an extraordinary life? Work-life balance doesn't really exist. It's more like, imagine that you have, and the one thing talks about this, and I, I teach on it a lot. Imagine that you know what your definition of a perfect day or a perfect week, perfect month is supposed to look like, whether you're you're spending time with your family, whether you're you're doing the right things that you're supposed to be doing in your work, that's your straight line. But as long as you understand your straight line, you need to also understand that you will be coming on and off that path. As long as you know what your true north needs to be, which is your line, you will be coming on and off that as long as you come back onto it. So a thing that's been really helpful for me is understanding that you will come off of that a little bit and work-life balance might be a little off. But as long as you're coming back to your center, it helps with the anxiety a lot to know that you know where that needs to be at. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. Yeah, it can uh, get you through many seasons, indeed. Yeah, yeah. It's like, don't get stressed if the work-life balance is thrown off a little. Just understand that it does happen as long as you can come back to it eventually. Great advice. Great advice. All right. Now, last but not least, not only am I going to ask how our guests can get in touch with you if they'd like to, but I know that you have a little surprise for them as well. So would you like to tell us more about all that? Yeah. So I have my development group as well, but I recently put a course together for people who are wanting to get into this themselves. I essentially created the course that I wish I had when I started six years ago. And that's how I've been sort of just telling people, explaining the courses. It's a real estate short-term rental development course. It's We just essentially just went through the cliff notes of it. I just taught like the first section of the 12 sections. It's like 120 videos. There's templates there's workbooks, there's everything that you need. I've probably made two, $300,000 worth of mistakes in the last six years. And if I would have had this course, I probably would have avoided most of those mistakes. So the course is on, it's launching September 16th. It's going to be on alexjarbo.com. And then if you guys are listening to this prior to September 16th, there's a wait list on my other website, uh, sargoninvestments.com that I'm sure it's going to be in the show notes. But yeah, that's essentially what I've been working on the last like couple months in the background is just putting that course together. I have a lot of friends and stuff that have been reaching out to me as well. And just people in the industry that are just like, hey, I would love to do what you're doing. I just don't have time to just dedicate all my time to teaching people. So that's why I created the course as well. Awesome. Very cool. All right. And what if they have a question for you? Uh, can they reach you via 
kind of your website yeah, or an email? I'm, yeah, I'm I'm a writer for Bigger Pockets. So if they want to reach out to me through my Bigger Pockets profile, I'm on LinkedIn as well. You guys just look up Alex Jarbo, pretty active on LinkedIn as well. All right, perfect. Well, Alex, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show. For those of you that tuned in today, thank you so much for being with us. And don't forget to please rate and review the show and let us know what you think, what you want to hear more of. I would definitely appreciate the feedback. And we appreciate you guys taking the time to tune in with us today. So in the words of Ellie, be bold, be strong, and keep moving forward. And we'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.